Take two went much better than take one. <laughs> We're in the same time zone. There's no reason for this delay. <laughs> I know, right? It has to go to space. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's true. It's bouncing off of things. everybody to another episode of the Motormouth podcast where a lot of great ideas go absolutely nowhere i'm joel tyree and with me as always is my esteemed co-host the tim gerard hi tim hello hi <laughs> all right two <laughs> topics enter and sanity leaves what is your fancy topic for this episode uh so my topic is is something that we it came up in last week's or last two weeks ago how do you say that last something when it's bi-weekly anyway last episode. the last podcast we did, <laughs> um, last episode yeah wait i'm gonna i'm gonna call the the urkel slash screech syndrome oh interesting no more context we'll just get into it when no. we get into it. no more context yeah i am yeah. so excited for your reaction to what i've brought as a topic okay i watched devs <gasps> you son of a bitch <laughs> i don't think i've been this excited with you since we saw split together <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> i still haven't seen glass by the way i just saw it came up on i think xfinity i'll have to watch it at mm. some point um yeah no i i, I was yeah. trying to be super sneaky about it because you're the only person <laughs> i know who's watched it and uh I mean, Tyler yeah. ended up watching some of it. So I was like, I wanted to keep it under wraps until the next episode. Okay. So <laughs> now you can't pick it. Ha <laughs> ha. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Well, it was definitely on my list, but I was like, I don't know when to bring this up. Like, I'm not just going to bring it up and then talk about it by myself. Like, that'd be shitty. <laughs> I binged it in two days. Like, that. I, I, I watched it very quickly. <laughs> so um, nice. But let, let's get into to the, the Screech Urkel syndrome. Maybe provide a little context. <laughs> How this came about organically was um, in the last podcast when we were talking about Avatar, we were talking about Sokka and how he kind of starts off as a goofball, but he actually like grows and matures and becomes a better character. Um, whereas with like Urkel and Screech, and I guess part of the discussion could also be like, what are some other characters like that where like, you know, they kind of say a few things and people found them funny. And for some reason, the writers are like, like, hey, let's make this character like stuck outside of time and just be like a ridiculous goofball for their entire life. And But not only that, but also get worse as, as everything goes, as everyone else around them kind of grows and matures and learns things, let's make them worse. And, and it's interesting because it's like, it's something that really annoyed me as a kid. And I feel like, was that something they were trying to, is that who they were trying to cater to? Are they like, hey, here's this lovable goofball. Um, you know, everybody likes them. Let's, let's, you know, we can't make them, we can't let them let go of their stupid catchphrase, you know, so we've got to keep them the way they are. 
but like, yeah, who is that for? And I always thought it was funny because like, for me, like I never appreciated it, but I almost felt like there were adults who got a kick out of it. Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the whole, like with Urkel, one of his catchphrases was got any cheese. And it was like, that's not funny. Like, <laughs> you know, it's like, I can understand maybe like a, a, a one or two times when it's like, Oh, here's this weird kid from next door. So yeah. So Urkel was in family matters. He lived next door and he ended up like, taking over the show at one point, you know, he right. was that character uh, kind of like, I guess, first, almost like the quote unquote, the Kramer of the show where he right. would kind of bust in, you know, without knocking. And it's like, here's this character. And that you would hear the audience like go nuts. Like, and it was just like, why are you cheering for this guy? Like he's, he's, he's not funny anymore. He's already said the only things that he's ever going to say that are funny. And they were, they were only barely funny back then. Uh, it was just this idea that like, and I think it makes me wonder too, like, do, do, do some writers of shows or some producers of shows? Cause again, no, if it's the people writing it who are like, oh yeah, this is going to be great. Or is it the producers being like, Hey, we want more fucking Urkel. Like for some reason, the audience is stupid and they love Urkel. So we need more Urkel. But yeah, like whose decision was it to just be like, like people love stupid people. Let's make him stupid, you know, as opposed to, like I said, like, it's something I've become more aware of. And I wonder how much of when I was a kid, was I watching characters that were stuck in a time warp, you know, and just never, never matured, never grew. Another one, for example, like that, you know, you like I've kind of observed because I've seen this show so many times is on Parks and Rec, uh, like, uh, like Tom Haverford's character and also um, April Ludgate's character. Right. You know, they, they start off like super lazy, super apathetic, but like, as the show goes on, like they, they grow into mature humans and change and become better people. And you're like, that's fucking great. I love watching that. I love watching that you were kind of a pain in the ass when you were younger, but as you became an adult, you became a better person. That's, that's wonderful. I will watch that process over again, but it's like, I will never again watch an episode of family matters because no matter what's going on around it, which some of those were, were pretty good. There was actually one where they, there was only, it was an episode where they dealt with like, like racism in the, with police officers because mm-hmm. Carl Winslow, the dad was, was a cop. And like one of, one of his like fellow cops had like given his son a hard time. And it was this whole thing where he like confronted him about it. And it was like, you know, what, why were you giving my son a hard time? Oh, well, you know, it was late out late at night. And he was outside, you know, it's like that, but that's no reason, you know, like, and so there were, there were actual good things that happened in the show, but, but for some reason they felt the need to have, this idiot character who was just like a, a goofball the whole time. Uh, you know, same thing with like Saved by the Bell. Like I feel like originally Screech was kind of the, the outcast and, and maybe this is part of it too. Actually, I think it just clicked with me. Originally I kind of identified with Screech, you know, he's like the goofy kid who's friends with the popular kids because they're, they're, they're not shitty enough to be like, Hey, you're kind of goofy. Fuck off. They're like, Hey, you're, you're still a good kid. I mean, sometimes I also wondered like, were they doing it just to, so they had a kid that they could fuck with that was a friend of theirs, you know, but whatever reason they were friends with him, they were cool with him. He hung around with the cool kids and, you know, he had on a crush with a, he had a a crush on a girl who was way above his station, but it's like, Hey, whatever. Like, you know, I, I, I think there isn't this acknowledgement that it's like, well, this is where I am socially. Therefore, this is the level of girls I should be attracted to. Like you're attracted to who you're attracted to. So he, he had, he was in love with Lisa turtle, the whole show. And it's like, okay, I get that. You know, like I'm this goofball who has, you know, these good looking friends around me who are all like attracted to girl, you know, like I said, like 
in their same station at their same attractiveness level. But here I am this goofy kid who's like, well, okay, yeah, I'm attracted to that girl too. And it's like, no, no, like she's too hot for you, you know? So I think I identified with Screech, but then like, as the show moved on, like they made him completely ridiculous. And like this, this, this caricature of a person, and maybe that's part of it. Maybe it was like insulting to me, like, Hey, like just because you're an awkward, like young teenager doesn't mean you're like this garbage person. Like, you know, like, like whatever you grow up, you kind of find your place in the world. And it's like, and there are kids watching this show. Like, what are you, what are you teaching these kids that if you're, if you're a character like Screech, who's a little different and not as cool as your friends, like you're just going to end up a fucking loser for the rest of your life. And you're going to become worse and worse as you go on, as opposed to getting better. So yeah, same thing with Urkel, you know, like at some point, like maybe this kid would get some fucking longer pants that aren't so high and he'd stop wearing suspenders and wear a fucking belt. Maybe get some contacts, you know, maybe he could, you know, he could, and, and I, I know I'm speaking about purely visual sort of physical attributes, but like, you know, maybe he could eat a normal amount of cheese and stop asking his neighbors for cheese. Maybe he'll get a job and buy his own cheese. So he, has, he can stop <laughs> asking people if they have any cheese, you know, maybe he'll realize he's fucked up enough things that he hasn't been aware of. And he'll stop saying, Oh, did I do that? Like take some fucking responsibility. Like, yes, you did that. Stop it. You know, like <laughs> get more, more control of your actions. Don't just bumble through life, fucking up things around you, you know? It, so it's possible, but it's like, these shows are teaching these kids that if you're if you're a nerd, if you're awkward, you're only going to get more awkward and stupid and, and people will laugh at you, but they're not laughing with you. They're laughing at you, you know, like like it's not cool. Like, I don't think any one of the people in the audience who would cheer when they saw Steve Urkel would actually be friends with that guy in real life. They just wanted to laugh at him, you know, and right. and and that's part of it, too, is that those shows are giving people permission to laugh at those type of people the type of people who are awkward and don't dress the way everybody else does. And they're like, yeah, like, look at this guy. He's, he's a, he's a fucking reject. Let's all laugh at him together. Listen to the stuff he says. That's fucking stupid. You know, let's laugh at it and let's, let's encourage it so that he keeps saying it instead of like, Hey, like, like grow up and do something different. <laughs> this, that, this that touches a little, deep <laughs> i was about to say it seems to uh have resonated quite deep <laughs> well i think i'm not all all that familiar with those shows other than like in the the zeitgeist like i'm i'm i i know who those characters are mm -hmm. i know the archetypes they represent and i i right. know urkel more obviously. i think mm -hmm. urkel is more of a made more noise so was more visible um and i don't know if it, it stems from like there's a problem with sitcoms of like wanting to recreate a they want to recreate the same episode over and over right they want the same kind of formula so you get the laugh here you get the laugh here you get the the heartfelt moment here and then you can go home on on a nice or contemplative tone, right? So you got Urkel coming and do this thing here. Like it's an easy joke, right? Like it's lazy writing after a certain point. But right. when when you kind of move from like, what was it? The, the Honeymooners and then Flintstones, right? Same show. Hmm. Every episode is just mind-numbingly domestic and not... They don't, nothing ever develops, right? Everything lives within the 22 minutes where I, I think like as right. the, the sitcom has developed and evolved, like I think that's a formula that like Family Matters and uh, Saved by the Bell like was still, still a part of. This just makes me like frustratingly think of Big Bang Theory 
which is is mm-hmm. basically a show of Urkels, but they kind of <laughs> put you on their side. It, it, I, me and my friend Alice termed this nerd face, essentially. It's like, this is what Joe Schmo thinks nerds are, and this is how they interact and how they talk and mm-hmm. how they're not... I mean, Sheldon's clearly on the spectrum. There, There's like... He he has an inability to cope in social situations, and he he develops and he grows as a part of that. But I don't think like from from the very first episode, like that character is meant to be a joke, and not empathized with or understood for being on the spectrum, for being unable to pick up on social. It's all played for a laugh the whole time, and that show yeah. is kind of the fight, like the extension of the the weird smart socially awkward character kind of archetype blown up is like okay america will give you the nerd shit but it's it's only the nerd shit that the like people who aren't nerds will find funny i was always really frustrated with that shit like I, i ended up watching it for a long time because it was what was on in the time slot right like i I think I had watched Mm -hmm. like according to Jim and the George Lopez show. And then those shows went off the air. And then the next thing was like big bang theory. And I mean, Sheldon has a catchphrase bazinga. Like it's played. It's the same tire joke essentially. And we're just alienating Mm -hmm. most of America by talking shit about (laughs) these characters. (laughs) But it's just like what you were talking about just like made me think like, yeah, we've had a lot of kind of innovation in, character development and also getting out of the the formulaic nature of weekly cable television which i mean that kind of doesn't exist as it ever did before because of netflix and streaming and binging and stuff but like in the office if michael scott continued to be the same person and never grew that show would be unbearable right like the art there are archetypes established by Uh, the office right like a dwight really didn't exist on tv i mean the the british office had had their own dwight but it was very sim like very british sensibility very different like that show established archetypes and you kind of came back and you saw dwight act very similarly but they gave them depth they gave they weren't just a comedic relief character or a weird fringe character in the way that kramer was and that's that's interesting like kind of the the evolution of the fringe character or the the nerdy character i think we've gotten worlds better and i think we develop like and that's the thing like big bang theory does develop those characters but it's still like the underlying foundation of it is like aren't these nerds funny for being socially awkward like it's one of those things like yeah. as a show is like don't you like this you're a nerd i'm like that's not how i interact with my friends that's not Right. Like they also have four fucking friends. Like <laughs> it, it, when I, when it was starting and I, I didn't have a huge nerd friend group. I had to to go undercover as a normal person, you know, like <laughs> I wasn't talking about green lantern and Batman and stuff. It was just like, those were things I liked and I had friends that I could talk to about those things. But like the, the little nerd averse that they kind of created there didn't really re- ring true. I mean, I was thinking fanboys is much closer to how nerds interact in the world mm-hmm. that I experienced or I knew about, you know, and that's more vulgar, more, I, I don't know, less, less. Yeah. 
what people think nerds sound like. That's why we called it nerd face. It's like, it's a performative nerd. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, plus like, I feel like with, with fanboys, you know, you get that sort of, you see that they're, they have their world, but they're still having to function in sort of the, the regular world, you know, with, with, right. you know, the one guy who has to, you know, he's sort of being pressured to take over at his father's business, you know, right. to sell used cars. Whereas, yeah, I feel like a lot of with a lot of with uh, uh, Big Bang Theory, it was almost um, the the neighbor. What's her name? Like she was Penny. the outsider. You Penny know, Quogo. Yeah. Penny. Maybe that was part of what they were trying to build. Like, yeah, like oh, this group of nerds, they're all comfortable in their own little world. And if you come into that, you're the outsider, which is you know, not yeah, not really an accurate representation. Like even if there's four of you, there are fifty people around you who are all talking about a bunch of other stuff, you know, that you're just kind of like, wait, what? Like, okay, luckily there's four of us, so we have each other's back. But like, yeah, yeah, it's a it's a it, yeah, it's a really weird sort of play on that. It's almost like a like an alternate universe kind of thing. Like right. if 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 nerds were the majority, you know, and, and plus like I feel show... like their their jobs were also from what I remember. Like no, weren't they're... their jobs kind of nerdy? Wasn't one of them like an engineer, a computer right. programmer or something? And and that list, the tweeness of the joke where it's like, he's just a master's because he's an engineer. He didn't get a PhD. Like that joke is constant. Like they're always talking oh, about right. Howard being lesser because he's an engineer and making all the fucking money. And they're all these like theoretical physicists and stuff. And I think like a lot of the world that they create in that show is all the interactions and negative or otherwise are with other weird fringe nerds. Like they don't really interact with the real world except through Penny, the real world in quotation mark. Like the idea of like right. these guys are other, and I yeah. think that's the, sh the the premise of the show is like look into mm -hmm. this world that is so weird, and that's why it's interesting. I I don't know. Like initially, it felt really cool. It's like okay, here's a show about people like me, nerds, and it was just like these don't talk. These guys don't talk like anybody I've ever met or any thought I've ever had. Like I mean privilege noted straight white man everything's made for me but this like this show was like it, it <laughs> to, to miss the point like they were trying to do this thing and appeal to a mass audience but in that there, there was nothing specific unique or likable about that i mean sheldon is pretty much an asshole for the whole time you you get these small moments and penny's kind of there to like get an emotional grounding of the show it, it's still like it seems like she's the pov of the show though it's about those guys like it seems mm -hmm. very centered on this normal blonde gorgeous girl who you've seen in all these other shows and i mean she was in 10 things 10 simple or eight simple rules about dating my teenage daughter god where did they fucking come up with that name so long and i liked that show because it was john ritter before he passed away that was a that was an interesting show it fucked up about like male patriarchal ideas about dating and all that stuff like it but it, it, had, it had some heart to it and it was like i don't know like, i feel like that character design and archetype and the whole idea of like the modern sitcom or sitcoms in general try to recreate the formula every time. I mean, The Simpsons has been churning out the same show for 25 years, 27 years. I don't know how long it is. Isn't it 30? I think it, it's 30 now. Might I think be. they have like 30, 31 seasons, I think, on, on Disney+. Plus. Yeah. And see, that's the thing. I... I I never really, I wasn't allowed to watch The Simpsons because my dad didn't like seeing a, a father figure choke out his son and be an idiot. Um, 
which understandable i could see you but maybe maybe, maybe <clears throat> let me watch power rangers i'd rather punch and kick things and think my dad's gonna do that like let, right. let's 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 balance it out but like homer doesn't yeah. ever fucking grow right like right. literally right they all stay <clears throat> the same age and that model works and is popular i mean it may it has it's commentaries and it has cameos in these stories. Like what is become is kind of like this cultural touchstone, but essentially it's the same elements and they're doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Well, and maybe that's the difference is that they're, and maybe I didn't quite articulate this well, but like they're, they're staying the same. Whereas like with Screech and Urkel, I feel like they, they became worse. worse, like more exaggerated, you know? So I guess if, yeah, if Homer, like he's this sort of, you know, stereotypical dumb dad kind of thing so if he became like worse and worse and the writing relied more on a catchphrase and just sticking that catchphrase in as opposed to you know the i mean like in the you know i i used to watch the simpsons a lot and i've kind of i've fallen off but i still like them like not enough for i'm going to sit there and watch the entire series i am watching the halloween episodes but you know i think what makes it clever is is also the way they put Homer in situations and the way he responds to things. And when he says his catchphrase is don't, you know, it's like his frustration at what's happening, but it's what's happening. That's funny. And then his reaction to that, which is funny. It's not just like, Oh, make Homer say dough and everyone will laugh, you know? Right. Um, or like with, with Bart, like, you know, he has his eat my shorts, but I feel like, What's funny is when he's saying it as sort of like, you know, a response to some authority figure, you know, trying to get him to do something. And he's just like, no, I'm not going to do that. You know, and it's again, it's the it's the situation. It's not the phrase eat my shorts. That's actually funny. You can't just make him say it automatically laugh. It's the way it's the situations he's written into, which are funny. I just think like maybe the challenge for a live action sitcom is they want to recreate the same kind of scenario every time, but characters get older and writing either gets better or worse depending on that. So the like, and I think where I get tired of like animated sitcoms is where the formula that they've gotten has become tired. Like, I really liked Family Guy for a lot of years. I watched yeah. that show for a long time. And it was because it would have a cold open story. It would switch gears in the middle and then go somewhere completely elsewhere. And then it was like meta. It did. It had a lot of like the cutaways was like this really interesting format. But once you get to once that formula is no longer new, it's just like, okay, I see that coming. I see that coming. It it just, it becomes tired. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if it's just that sitcoms by their nature have a, a a shelf life. Like they have to, they hit a certain point and then they need to be done. Mm -hmm. I I mean, and it's all taste, right? Like the ratings for family guy are pretty solid. The ratings for Simpsons have been pretty solid for decades, obviously. Like, so maybe it's just, yeah. And I guess it's like if you're discovering Family Guy for the first time, right? I don't I don't know if kids are watching it. Like there's YouTube and TikTok. Like the the kind of media being consumed now is so different and so bite-sized and so kind of self-curated, yeah. honestly. Like it's not sitting in front of the TV this is on or this is where you have access to stuff online. Like this is TBS. Here's the three episodes of family guy that they're streaming for free this weekend. Like I, and I sound like a fucking old man talking about it, but like the, the, I don't know how long, much longer the Simpsons is going to go on, you know, like because ratings 
is becoming ratings mm-hmm. as even family guy did an episode about the Nielsen box, right? How ridiculous and outmoded that is as a metric for ratings still. And that's the same system that's still being used. And that was 10 years ago. They made that episode. Like we've gotten very far away from, I think <laughs> the, the point that you introduced <laughs> <laughs> sitcoms animated or live action are problematic and frustrating and eventually formulaic and they die. <laughs> Well, that's the thing. Like with Friends, I I realized in the editing process for the previous episode, we say that's the thing a lot. (laughs) I'm so aware of these like verbal tics that I have where I'm trying to censor them and then I'm ending up doing them. It's really funny. So you have your own catchphrase is what you're saying. And that's the thing. (laughs) Such a lame catchphrase. (laughs) The crowd goes wild. Oh, that was that was one of the things that I wanted to bring up. So speaking of catchphrase, and, and I forget exactly what the story is, but the show The State, have you ever seen that? No. Okay, so it was this sort of sketch comedy show uh, years ago, I think probably like the 90s. And there's a bunch of actors now, uh, actors and actresses from this who are doing other stuff. And that's like where a lot of them got to start. Like uh, like um, Ken Marino, Joel Otrulio, uh, I forget the name, but she's on Reno 911. And uh, uh, who else? There's, a, there, there, um, oh, there's another... Another actor on Reno 911, I think he was also in it. So it was one of those shows, I feel like, you know, like everybody was trying to do their own version of SNL because they saw how SNL launched people to, to movies. And this was one of those shows. I think Michael Showalter was in it. Um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Ian Black, I think his name is. Gotcha. So, so anyway, like it's if you ever like looked up this show, you'd be like, oh my God, I know all these people from all this other stuff, but I never knew they were all together in this show before. And you'll see a lot of them together in a lot of movies because of that. Like I think Role Models is a good example of that, where a ton of the side characters and role models were all from the state. Gotcha. Um, so anyway, uh, it was a sketch comedy show. And I think it was something like one of the producers said, oh, catchphrases are big now. I want you to give one of your characters a catchphrase. So they were like, oh, yeah, that's what you want. We'll show you. So they, they, I think yeah, it was Ken Marino's character. He had these two rubber balls that he would carry around and they put him in all these situations. Like when he was at like a dinner and someone would be like, oh, look, you know, I made, you know, I made a nice lasagna. He'd be like, lasagna, I want to dip my balls in it. And he would like <laughs> hold them up and be like, this is what, and like, that's what they would do. They would do these ridiculous skits just to justify him saying, I want to dip my balls in it. And that was what they did to be like, you want us to have a, a catchphrase, a character with a catchphrase? Here you go. Fuck you. Here's our character with a catchphrase. But and it, but it also ended up being like super popular and funny, like, you know, partially because of that, partially, I think, because of the, you know, the the dirty nature of it, where it's like, yeah, we're going to set up a way where we can get a, get away with him saying, I want to dip my balls in it. Like, where else can you do that on like regular <laughs> television? But because he would, he would, he would show that, and then he would like dip them in, like oh, like ranch dressing. I want to dip my balls in it. He would just like dip his balls in the ranch dressing. So, so that was one of those things. You know, again, like, like they knew, like this is stupid. Like having a catchphrase isn't a way to make things funny, you know. But then somehow, by them trying to not make it funny and to try to like piss off the, the producers or whatever, it ended up being really funny. But, you know, for that reason, and like I said, because of the vulgar aspect of the humor, I think that helped too. But, but anyway, yeah. So I think that's where you could, you know, I, I think it was, yeah, it was a lesson to the producers. Like, don't just force your writers to have a catchphrase. Like that's, that's stupid, you know, like, 
you know, it has to be, it has to actually be funny <laughs> to, to quote one of my favorite lines from uh, Freddie got fingered. Something actually has to ha- has to be happening. That's funny. You know, like what the fuck is happening here? <laughs> right. That's it. I think I almost did it again. I'm just going to self-censor. Um, <laughs> I feel like Michael Scott kind of is the last bastion of a catchphrase because he said that's what she said so much. But I think mm-hmm. the way it was applied, he didn't say it every episode. He said it as a situation arose. Right. And what was funny mm-hmm. about it was different characters would have it. They would end up saying it and it would catch you off guard because you were like, oh, that character is they've been influenced by Michael Scott enough that that's just mm-hmm. a communal joke now. Like at one point, uh, right. Jan says it. Why is this so hard? And yeah. she's talking to the, the uh, camera man. Is like that's what she said, and then she has this kind of look of horror of like, oh god, it's inside me. That's what she said. Um, yeah, that's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's one of those things where, I mean, even Friends, there were catchphrases, right? Like, how you doing? And, how you doing? Uh, could I be anymore? Or uh, I know, like mm-hmm. all of those, they, they had those things. I think they were getting those characters develop and Joey's not all like Joey stays in kind of his misogynist, dumb, pretty womanizer role, but you get little glimpses of him being sweet and he becomes more nuanced and you understand his motivations. And you like, I think that era kind of the, the Seinfeld into friends. And this is a very like truncated version of where the sitcom is developed in my, like the ones I've watched. But I think that's kind of where they got out of it. And then fucking Big Bang Theory took us right back down to (laughs) stereotype and bullshit. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, and and that's an interesting point, too, because I feel like, you know, when you make a show that's a collection of people, you know, I feel like you want them to ideally be a diverse collection of people. But then it's like, where do you draw the line between like, okay, we've got this limited cast that we want to be diverse. And at what point do they just become stereotypes? You know, like, you know, I assume there, there, there is, you know, like, like, for example, with that, like, you know, and not that I'm, I'm trying to stick up for um, a big bang theory, but like, yeah, if you do have a character who's on the spectrum, like I assume there have to be certain qualities that have to be present to be an example of that. Um, but like, yeah, like at what point are they pushing it over the edge? And maybe that's part of it too, is the whole, like, just the, the, the full on nerd, you know, go full nerd, you know, full, full Urkel or whatever, even where it's like, we're just going to lean into this, you know, like, I feel like it would have been cooler if like, you know, after a year or two, you find out Urkel's like really into football or something, you know, not, not to me, like, it's not like I would connect with him, but it's like, Oh, that's a twist. I didn't see coming. Okay. So there's a little part of him. That's just like a regular guy into this thing that a majority of people are into we're only seeing this one aspect of his character and maybe that's part of it, you know? Um, but if that's the case, then, then show that part of him. Don't, you know, and I, I guess it came up later where he invent, invents this machine where he can turn himself into Stefan or Kel, who's like a cool version of him, right. which I feel like that that's kind of not the point. That's not what we were looking for, you know, right. like to say, like, let me make something that's the opposite of what I am and people will actually like it. Like that's, that's not the message we're supposed to have. And again, like, like there are kids watching these shows. This, this isn't a message for adults. This it's, these are kids seeing this. So it's like, you know, like think of your audiences, think of who you're fucking up by being like, Hey, here's this, this awkward kid 
you know, and the more of a moron he becomes, the more people love him. So that's what you should do. If you're an awkward kid, you have no hope actually getting the girl you love. You should instead just be a complete goofball or try to make a fake version of yourself and maybe she'll love him. And if it's in the show, they may, yeah, she, she falls in love with Stefan or Cal. And it's like, what the fuck is that supposed to say? You know, like, come on. Right. Like, how about give, give Urkel some, some girl who like actually does like him and appreciate him. And it's kind of like, Oh, okay. Like, yeah, this is what it's like to be in a healthy relationship. How about that? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not thinking about like boy meets world. I don't know if you ever watched that show. Um, (laughs) What? (laughs) I've seen parts of it. And I, I, my sister loved that show. And I I actually, now that you bring it up, I feel like I've seen some later episodes, like the earlier episodes that I saw, it's like, yeah, he's this little kid, like whatever going through life. I feel like they kind of urkled him a little bit because I remember seeing an episode where him and Topanga got married and he's just, he's absolutely ridiculous. Like, like, that's wh- right. What are you I, doing? Like, I, like it was something where they had people over and he was acting like an old married couple where we have to be in bed by eight o'clock and it's now seven thirty-six. It was like, wh- who acts like this? Like, this isn't a real person. So I, I think I remember that episode. I think that's a dream sequence, like a nightmare Topanga's hack thing actually, but. Oh, Okay. Corey is a goober and continues to be a goober like his whole life. I, I may, may have been remembering him in rose tinted glasses because I identified so strongly with his character. <laughs> um, but that's a show that like started for kids and grew up as you grew up watching it. I mean, Mr. Feeney is like a, a big part of my childhood and my development as a person, like mm. his, his first teacher. But it, it that show allowed its characters to kind of grow into these different directions and develop and and kind of mature in a way instead of trying to churn out the same kind of thing like family matters did like kind of trying to freeze this point in history that's familiar and kind of you can jump in and jump out of that one really leaned into okay these kid actors are getting older so let's let them get older in the show um and they go to some, yeah. I mean, that show dealt with some pretty dark stuff pretty early. Like they, there's divorce and I think suicide plays a part in it pretty early, like maybe second oh, or no. third season. Like it, it had, had a definite perspective and, and dealt with things kind of pretty honestly and bold facedly. It, it didn't kind of shy away from real life things. Um, but I was thinking about uh, Fresh Prince there are like Carlton is kind of an Urkel, mm. but you always saw yes, you're right, yeah. a sweetness and more to his character than that. Right. He, he, you always got the sense that it wasn't just, it wasn't one-sided one dimensional. There was always this, like, this is how he interacts with the world. It's a very difficult place to be, to beat Carlton, mm. like raised in this, this environment where it's a bunch of wasps and he he's the the affluent black kid like it's a very difficult place to find yourself your dad's a judge you like the people you interact with he doesn't really have a community right to to, to be mm-hmm. any other version of himself you know like he has his family and he has yeah. this this environment so when will butts heads with him there's that initial friction of the environments where they come from and the people that they like their friends with and how they they communicate but there's always like whenever there's friction and there's a, a problem or a lot of the time we're making fun of carlton because he he's 
less black in quotation marks or like acting white like but right when when there's these serious moments and i mean there's problems with that there's the the um code switching it's not a great show for portraying that but the idea that when it gets serious and they actually have a conflict about things there's a conversation showing carlton as this he's not a stereotype he's not stuck in one code and i think that show does a really good job i mean we see will grow up in that show and his interactions and i mean jeff shows up he's kind of a caricature he plays this kind of burnout stoner and he's played for laughs he, mm-hmm. he's kind of this auxiliary character but i think he they do that relationship develops and will kind of as he's growing up in a different direction from jeff i think they have this kind of falling out in this interaction like i think that show yeah. does a really good and that's the thing like this is after family matters but like in the next generation of shows moving towards that kind of storytelling you know I need to watch these shows again. Like <laughs> Fresh Prince is an incredible show. Yeah. Well, also I feel like the whole thing with, with Jeff, part of his purpose is he was Will's friend from his previous life. And I think it's meant to show that there's this sort of oblique motion of Will kind of moving up as Jeff stays the same mm-hmm. because he didn't have that, that family unit to kind of take him in and kind of, you know, kind of push him to be better. So him staying the same, I feel like is, it's not just sort of a, uh, uh, you know, it's not a lazy writing thing. I feel like it was very intentional to kind of show that, like you said, like, you know, they kind of have this falling out because yeah, Will is becoming a different person. He's growing, you know, maybe for good or bad, you know, maybe he's kind of, you know, lost sight of his roots. I, I know that that's a thing that people always get concerned with, like, remember where you came from? And it's kind of like, but if where you came from, isn't that great? Don't you want to go to something better? And I mean, yeah, like you don't want to become a complete asshole, but it's like, you know, I, I, I feel like there's, there, there's a, yeah. Yeah. Again, you want to, you want to grow, you know, like I, I, you know, I think of where, where I came from and I don't necessarily want to, to, to hang on a lot of, to a lot of those things that came from where I'm from. I mean, in, in terms of geographical location anyway, I mean, in terms of the people in my life, like that's a different street, you know, maybe that's part of what they're getting at is that like, you know, is there a way to still stay with the friends, stay friends with the people you you were friends with when you were a different person and it's like if they're kind of stuck where they are and not kind of growing or whatever um but 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 again i feel like that's that's a real thing that happens that's that's something that happens in life where it's like yeah like that's it's a it's a, it's a good lesson it's a good kind of seed it, it's good to see it played out you know and, and maybe that that is part of it maybe there are people who do get worse and it's like you know yeah like this is a cautionary tale maybe that's part of it you know like maybe Screech and, and Urkel were meant to be cautionary tales. Like don't be these people yet. They tried to push them on us and make, make us love them. Right. Um, and you know, another example with, with Screech that I thought of is I think they had a saved by the bell, like the new class or something like that, where all, all the people in the original class graduated and you had a new class and they had the same principle because yeah, principles are around for what 30 years, you know, that's, that's fine. But then Screech like became the assistant principal at his high school or something mm-hmm. as a way to just keep him on the show. And which which to me, it's like, you know, kind of just further kind of stunting that character. Like he doesn't get to graduate, go on and do something else with his life for better or worse. I mean, who knows? Like maybe, you know, the day after graduation, Zach got Kelly pregnant and then, you know, they were divorced, you know, married and divorced two years later because it's like, yeah, it was your high school sweetheart. Like you didn't know any better. 
you know, there are other people out there. Go find some other people. But like, yeah, Screech is just, nope, that's it. I just can't leave high school. I'm just going to stay here and again, become worse, you know, and, you know, like make goofier faces and maybe that'll make me funnier, you know? Yeah. Just like watching him interact with, watching him interact with everybody. I mean, I didn't see a lot of it, but I remember seeing that being like, what the, what the fuck? Why is he still on the show? Like leave with everybody else, you know? Right. That seems like a, uh, a studio network contrivance. Like, Let's get the the old fans with a character from the old one. Like, right? It it just I mean, it's like the Joey spinoff. Like, who's watching that? I know I did for like the first three episodes, but it's <laughs> like that. That was one of my favorite things about The Office was that they they had the idea to do a Dwight spinoff. They shot a pilot and they mm. said this is not going to work. They wove the pilot into the mm. office and they just left it alone. Like as much as I want to hold on to what oh, right. yeah. that show was, they would have called it the farm or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Cause that's more his like aunt dies. And then it's like yeah. him and his brother and his sister, right. They're at the funeral. Yeah. yeah. Thomas Middleditch is there as his brother. It's such a weird, like Elseworlds alternate universe. And it was the thing, like they yeah. didn't have I mean, Angela as a part of that conversation. Like, I, I don't understand how you have, I don't know. I'm, I'm glad where those characters ended up at the end of that show but i like to beat a dead yeah. horse I mean, as much I, as the I feel last like that, person but yeah <laughs> well and, and i like that episode it, it is kind of like this breath of fresh air in the context of the show but yeah i wouldn't want to watch 20 episodes of that exactly you know? and that's the thing like we like dwight and shrewd isms as like a side mm-hmm. dish right we like hearing about his nazi war criminal grandmother and the terrifying stories that she told to him like like we like those stories and seeing him come from this background and being kind of off to one side but the second he's in the center like that show is just a lot of shrewdisms and it's like too much candy like it's it's too much plus i mean i feel like it's it's a perfect kind of thing with i mean the show being called the office it's about a bunch of people who work together and, and yeah, you develop relationships with the people you work with, but it doesn't mean you want to like Jim doesn't want to move in with Dwight and be his roommate and live with him 24 seven, you know, right. like, you know, and, you know, we get a taste of that kind of thing with like Jim and Daryl, you know, where it's like, <laughs> when they're, um, you know, it's like, yeah, like, oh, man, you see a different side of these people and maybe you don't like them so much. Like, let's just keep it at work, you know, like, let's just keep it there. So that way we, we can maintain, you know, and I think that's part of it. Yeah. Like I you you like the show because of the ensemble you know like like even with michael scott i don't think i want to just follow him home and see what his home life is like and that's the new show you know or, or or even follow him to colorado you know as fun as that would be to be like hey i live there now i know what they're talking about you know like to have seen to have gone off with him to colorado and just see his life with holly it's like eh, i don't, I don't really care you know kind of i think it was uh stephen king said it in one of the dark tower books i think in book four where he says something like true love is boring <laughs> you know it's like it's it's it, you know when, it, when it's this real thing it's not a story to be told it's just like it's something experienced by those two people and i think that was part of it like not that it has to do with the whole thing but like at least with him and holly like you know i don't once they're together i i, I don't want to see what their daily life is like you know that's not as interesting as what they had to go to in order to be together you know? right and that's the thing like at that point michael becomes a com- more complete person you know like not that that relationship does yeah. that but he he's matured off the show at that point point. and i don't know like just talking about like 
part of what's so comforting and why we watch the office some, or at least I do is like the copier sounds and like the, the, it just <laughs> feels like there's something I, I was, I've been listening to a couple podcasts about the office and B- Brian, Bob Garner, Gardner, Kevin did one that was like an oral history of the office. And then Angela Kinsey and oh, Jenna Fisher. That, yeah. Yeah, they're doing the Office Ladies podcast and they're talking about kind of rewatchability and all that stuff. And in in the oral history one, it was just like the office that they're portraying is not really a workspace that exists anymore. Like there are there are offices like that, but not it's not what you're going after or going in. Like you don't aspire to be in that environment, really. Like paper like that's on nobody's pie in the sky dreams for their career like paper salesman salesperson um but the mundanity of that show and the true to life nature of it is what's comforting and why you keep returning to it and i thought it was interesting that like in that show the characters grow up and they progress but the play stays the same and i'm wondering like if they had taken to replacing characters more frequently like having each like people moving through it it would have been less jarring for when Michael left. I understand like building an ensemble and being right. comfortable with, and I, I love the ensemble, but like when he left, it left such a big void and we hadn't really seen a character leave. I mean, Toby had left to go to Costa Rica and he had come, Holly replaced him. And then like uh, Roy got fired and all like there in Devin, I guess is fired in, in the first Halloween episode. But there's not a whole lot of employee turnover until like the merger, right? But it, those were all characters that we saw for six or seven episodes and then they were gone. Where it, it didn't really, I don't know, I wonder if a show can function, maybe like ER, right? Because ER went on forever. Oh, yeah. And it had this influx of doctors and talent and it kind of progresses past that. And I mean, same way with like Law and Order, right? That it has this. Right the concept and the core mechanic stays the same, but the people feeding through it changes. I don't know if that there's something to be said. I mean, I guess the procedural by definition, right, is formulaic and comforting because you don't need the larger context. Like they have little story arcs and stuff, but like you come in, you know what to expect. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it's about the job, not about, their life at home you know like with something like family matters where the focus is the family at home in their house right whereas yeah shows like er it's about an emergency room so yeah you're going to get different people coming in going out whatever yeah so i think it's yeah it, it i guess it makes a little a little more sense and you know yeah you have the freedom you know because you can be like yeah you know people get fired and get hired all the time but if you have like a show it's focused on people at home you, you really can't swap people out like, Oh, we're going to kill off this daughter and they're going to have a new baby, but she's going to grow up to be 10 years old in one season. Yeah. <laughs> we, we talked a lot about two shows. I've not watched all that. much. <laughs> <Or> like, <laughs> uh, well, now you don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> and nobody out there has to. <laughs> yeah. So do you want to talk devs or deus? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Spoiler. <laughs> See, that was the thing. Like, it was funny. I was so into the conversation that I kind of forgot in like, like a minute ago, I was like, oh, that's right. We have to talk about devs next. And I was kind of like, all right, let's, let's wrap this up. I want to move on to Joel's thing. <laughs> that, that is a show and a half right there. I don't even know how to begin a discussion of it. Uh, you, you've been yeah. 
you've been wanting me to watch it since we saw each other in person. So this is like months and oh, months God, and yeah. months ago. I think we were in the ID card yeah. office and talking to Scott and you and I ended up talking for like 30 minutes outside of it. Oh, wow. That's right. That's a thing that used to happen. We used to see each other in people in person, you know, in, in, inside a building, inside a small room. so So, okay so devs yeah yeah so it's been in the back of my mind like one of those things it's like on the list to watch and just gets lower and lower and rewatches of the office and hannibal come up and it's a whole thing so after the last recording session i was like i'm gonna fucking watch this and just started and like you can't stop watching it once it started and it's one of those things like it being a mini series is the same thing with avatar if i had known it was only three seasons i would have watched it earlier i guess like so mm-hmm. once you get into it and it's that prestige style for like storytelling um and it's like a west world but it not as convoluted or as long i love west world but this mm-hmm. is like i mean gorgeous fucking show outstanding performances the music is incredible and creepy and just relentless and great to see nick offerman in it you were talking about him crunching leaves in the in the his salad in the, yes. his first scene it, that's just so it's a fucking vegetarian it, it's so like pointed and like th- this isn't parks and rec like from the get-go like it, it's so I feel like that was definitely a wink to camera. Like that, that was so deliberate. Mm-hmm. Right. I did not like the giant statue of the daughter in the sky to start that movie yeah. or that show. I was like, I don't like mm-hmm. her. That's going to come to life and shoot lasers out of its eyes. <laughs> I was not ready to deal <laughs> with that shit. And with the music, just super ominous. And it's one of those like near future, like, it felt very like not super far flung future. Like it felt very present other than like the tech that they mm-hmm. were developing. Yeah. I really liked well, the James Bond like. spy like, watch. Be, yeah. Yeah. Like fucking... this could be the present. It's just that I don't know about this tech because it's somewhere right. else, you know, like it definitely felt like that. Yeah. Like this could be happening right now. And it was, I mean, it, it's, we, we know that archetype, right? The Musk, the, the uh, Steve jobs type, the, guy from ex machina the oscar isaacs is like it instantly kind of draws you into this kind of like corporate industrial espionage plot but it's also like what the hell is devs and you still i'm still not quite sure what devs was at the end of it like it it it, and it was one of those things where it's like you following one like i think you were talking about scream uh, a couple weeks ago but like the character that Mm -hmm. we thought we were following died really quickly <laughs> and then yeah. it becomes about yeah. uh the um oh what's her name why can't i remember her name the, the actor actress i can't yeah, remember i can't remember either not like super compelling really interesting really kind of i'm not sure i feel about the ending i i felt like the ending pissed me off I wasn't, it didn't feel good at the end um not that i was supposed to but like i i don't think i felt good I felt bad in a way that the show didn't want me to feel bad. And we could talk about that. Um, right. But mm-hmm. I mean, it's just great to see, like 
great acting, great performances all around, like especially Offerman, just and playing this twisted, mm-hmm. damaged, fucked up, and ultimately like morally not even ambiguous, like not a good guy, right? At the end, the the way he's gone about things is he's let himself off the hook with this determinism in as much as he believes in it. It's also a get out of jail free card for him morally, which is just an interesting line right. to play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, the fucking day ooze thing. Like I hate it when they're so on the nose about <laughs> Deus Ex Machina. Like it, it, it's something that really bugs me. <laughs> like the, the brain baby or the machine baby God in uh matrix revolutions yeah (laughs) named deus ex machina (laughs) yeah it's 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 super compelling really really entertaining really interesting and it like you couldn't not watch the next episode i was like i burned through all but maybe two episodes the first night i was like this this has to happen oh wow yeah i didn't have specific talking points i just was going to bring it and we can (laughs) talk yeah no that's i'm trying to pull it to the front of my brain now and think about all this stuff like yeah i think when i watched it originally it was when it was airing so i think i did have to wait you know i think there were times i could maybe watch two episodes or maybe i feel like when i first started watching it four were available on hulu so it's like well i don't want to burn through all four of these and then have to wait a week at a time. So I probably would like, you know, watch one on a Monday and then this another one on like a Thursday. I tried to spread it out a little bit so that at least by the time I finished the fourth one, the five, the fifth one was coming out or about to come out. So yeah, there was a little bit of, of pacing that I had to do, which I kind of like, I kind of, I do appreciate that. Now there's, there's so much stuff I can binge that when I have to wait for something and really make myself kind of savor each, each minute, I think that that added to the way I experienced it. But um, yeah, the kind of waiting around again, you know, it, it harkened back to the time of Lost where it's like, okay, you know, except where you were with Lost, everyone was watching it. So you talk to everybody about it between where it's here. It was just kind of thinking about it. Like, what's the deal with this? How is this going to work? What is that? What are the ramifications of this? You know, and I also just loved how, yeah, like from episode to episode, you kind of didn't know where it was going next. You know, yeah, like you said, the, the main, or who we think is the main character dies at the end of the first episode. And you're like, well, what, what the fuck do we do now? You know? And yeah, there were so many twists and turns like that, where it's just like, okay, you know, this is kind of what you think the show is. And then it's like, oh wait, no, it's about no, or uh, what? Yeah, like one of my favorite twists was the the fucking homeless guy living outside her building. Yeah, that you know, that was... he comes back. Oh, he's some sort of Russian operative. Oh, cool. Okay, this is this is where we're going now. Got it. Okay. Yeah, they they kept him around a long time for him not to be more central to the plot, and then he was in a big way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I also love too that the uh, the head of security is the like the actor who plays his boss in fight club. So it's, it was kind of really yeah. funny kind of seeing him where, you know, it's like, he is kind of this, I mean, he's a boss. He has quote unquote power in fight club because of his, his position, you know, but even in there, you know, like, he's just like, yeah, no, I'm just, you're going to keep paying me to stay home or you're going to be fired for beating me up and whatever, you know, and to kind of see him as this, you know, he has that kind of power that's, that's been handed to him because he's the boss of a country. I mean, the, the boss of a company, you know, but no actual like power in and of himself. Whereas in this, it's like, you know, he's fucking hardcore, like, you know, and you're just kind of seeing him kind of tear through these people. And you're like, you're like, I was like, honest to God, afraid of him. You know, like every time he's on screen, I was just like, 
you do not want to be in the same room with this guy, you know? And, and when he goes after her other friend, her ex-boyfriend, and he's, you know, with him in the tub and he's just like, doesn't even tell him to, I'm going to break your finger now. And this will, and it was just like, ah, oh, don't tell him, like, just do it. Like, yeah. Oh God, that makes it so much worse, you know? And I'm like, God damn for, for a show that was so like tech fo- focused, it was so fucking visceral. Like, like, right. I feel like you're not used to that If it, this is going to be about computers it's all mental. It's all like ramification, you know, you know, like, Oh, well, if this happens, you could do this, you could get a virus on your computer. It's like, okay, like that would suck if I got a virus on my computer, but, but this, it's like, Oh yeah, we're going to do this thing. And this, and this guy's going to show up and murder you. Oh, okay. Fuck. You know? And, and yeah. And just like how much they dealt with the, 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 the human on human interactions, you know, in addition to, you know, all of the, the tech stuff and the, you know, you've got those kind of like, you know, like Nick Offerman's characters, like blank stare most of the time, how just kind of very even keel he was, you know, which I feel like that's kind of a, a stereotype. I feel like, yeah, like these programmers who don't interact with people much. So they're just kind of like focused on code. But then you see, oh, no, it's you know, like you said, he's very damaged. And that's where that comes from. You know, he he used to be this nice, happy person. And now he's just got nothing, you know, and. Yeah, what were you gonna say? Yeah, just with the security chief is like that guy's face. I I always think of him as a prick, but never as a physical force. When I see that actor and other things, yeah. And the second that he does stuff, I'm like, this dude is strong, and he's gonna kill everybody. Like he reminded me of uh, <laughs> in House of Cards, Stamper, where he was like the fixer, and he did all like was willing to go to these lengths and like murder people and like manipulate people. Like it was that, but writ large like you really got a sense of that character's willingness to go there very quickly yeah just a force of nature like it, it was crazy yeah and you knew he kept coming that was the thing like he wasn't gonna he's like michael myers like you knock his ass down he's coming yeah. back at you there's there's no there's right. no stop in him yeah i don't want to get too far ahead but i really want to talk like i really liked once they figured out once they switch the the formula to the mini worlds formula and we start mm-hmm. to see the flashbacks and the flash forwards and the multiple projections of the characters mm-hmm. going through the that was so cool that that was like i was enjoying it before that but at, once it got to that surreal place i was like all in yeah. like that that was so cool and uh, offerman's reaction to using that other theory is so visceral and so negative but it's the one time that he really has that kind of response through the whole thing and i i it wasn't really clear whether it was he understood that he needed to do that to fire the kid so that the kid falls off the thing to to start like because he had this idea of how his future was going to play out he had to have that reaction but it also Mm -hmm. seemed like that I, I can't the the uh, older black actor uh, says the thing is like want, you're wanting to live in a world that we don't live in. We live in a world of many worlds. Yeah. That's the way that this mm-hmm. is going to work. The delusion that you're carrying is not compatible with it. That was really interesting. But it was just so cool to see like all of these different scenarios play out, where millimeter to the left and things over here, and like the fact that they were going back and listening to the crucifixion and seeing it in Christopher, like once you're like into what devs is and what they're doing, I don't understand how they got to that place, 
like I don't understand the the faux math or the faux um, right, yeah. physics that they're using. But once you got to the places, like they, they're saying from when when they finally explained it, they fucking explain it really late in the game, <laughs> where the, yeah. the pencil thing, right? It, it it made logical sense. Like I could see, okay, if you can predict where it will go and where it like you could go from there and extrapolate backwards. I don't know how they had like the totems of the dead rabbit and all the things. Like I don't know how that all worked together, but right, yeah, that part was I was like, yeah. So I I think it was like totemic and just kind of like, and it was it was cool when when it they were extrapolating outward. And then you saw him see his own face. Like that was cool. Right. That kind of mirrored in, in the, the machine thing. Just like the perpetual, f- he was talking about, I'm worried that if we look one second in the future, see where we're going to go and say, fuck it. All of it comes crashing down. I really liked them like putting that as early in the show as it was. And then when the team decides to do that, and that's the tension that you feel is like, oh, are they going to contradict it? Oh, are they going to contradict it? And then they just end up mm-hmm. reacting a second late to what they're seeing it is really, really interesting and cool and keeps that the the deterministic theory afloat. That was really cool, but also super tense. Like that moment was super tense and really effectively right reaping the benefits of that earlier seed zone yeah like i i really liked how you know i I actually was kind of struggling with it at first because the idea that you know him being the lead character i thought that the the point of the show was there aren't there isn't a multiverse there's just you know a universe which i was kind of like you know so much of the stuff that i've gotten into lately has dealt with multiverses you know like like lost and like fringe you know like you know those are the type of things I feel like there's, there's been an explosion of that, of, of kind of, yeah, people moving past this idea of, okay, you know, time is a line, you know, as opposed to like time is tree branches that, you know, every choice kind of splits everything off. And it's not this or this, it's, it's both, you know, and it's constantly creating, you know, in the, you know, the kind of universe going out for infinity in infinite directions, not just in terms of time in one direction. So the fact that the show was so, like, or the fact that he was so much pushing for a deterministic universe, I was kind of like, is this the point of the show? Like, are they trying to rein it in from that, that sort of chaos? So I, I, and I stuck with it and I really loved how in the end, yeah, it was the idea that no, it wasn't, he was smarter than everybody. Like he was, yeah, he, he was damaged. He was trying to make the world to prove that it was what he wanted it to be for his purposes as opposed to kind of, you know, acknowledging what the world was, you know, even, even with the evidence, you know, the fact that he was ignoring evidence, if it went against his view of what he wanted the world to be. Um, and that was one of the things I really liked too. And when, when he, I forget who this a conversation with, but when he's saying something like, you know, it has to be exactly the same, it has to be perfect, you know, because right. if one hair on her head is different, that's not her. You know, and you see, like, in that moment, that's why he's doing this. Like, he has to believe, like you said, you know, that it it frees him from the guilt of his actions. Also, if he can look back on the past and see her, then it actually is her. But if if there are multiple realities, then it's not her. It's it's his daughter from some other alternate universe or some other timeline, whatever. So, and I also thought it was interesting, too, because I feel like, you know, uh, you know, and hopefully this isn't a spoiler for, you know, 
people who are going to see fringe by now have seen fringe you know that was kind of the premise of that is like well my son died in my timeline so if i can go into an alternate version and kidnap my son from that alternate version of me now i'll have my son back you know it's not my original son but it's still my son it's close enough you know so it's like instead of going that route he went the other route of like, no, like there's only one version of my daughter, but if we can get this right, I can at least get to see her again. But it quote unquote really is her, not not a copy of her or another version of her. So I thought it was really cool. Like it was a very, you know, there was a very specific way he was reacting to the trauma of losing her. And I thought it was very, very unique, you know. Um, you know, I to me. The, you know, the fringe approach makes more sense. You know, yeah, if you lose a loved one, but you know that there's a multiverse out there and you're a little bit, you know, nuts and, and an asshole, why wouldn't you go and steal someone else's, you know, another version of yours son and be like, well, I have my son back. I don't care about you. You're an alternate version of me. I want my son, you know, but so to instead be like, yeah, no, like this is the only version of her. And this is the, this is a way I can connect to her. But but this but this this her is real as opposed to a, a a multiverse version of her which isn't real you know I I really dug that and and then how they dealt with yeah like you said how it, it did seem to be deterministic for so much of it you know um, because he was kind of pushing things that way and you no know, and, and I just feel like too like if that was part you know I wonder how much of that is part of it that the you know, we, the, the complexity of, of making choices when you bring in this idea of knowing the future, you know, and, you know, it's like, if you know the future and you play it out exactly as it happened, is that because it's deterministic or are you just, you know, is, is your belief in it being deterministic causing you to make those same choices, making it happen as opposed to like being able to, to change it, you know, and how much of that, of what you're seeing is not just, uh, what you're seeing in the future is not just influenced by, oh, well, that's a different version of me who didn't know this was going to happen. So it just went, uh, he went about his business making these choices. But no, if you're seeing the actual future and it is deterministic and there's one timeline, then that version of you has also seen the, the, the future. And that's why that version of you made those choices, you know, not because, you know, you're not the first version of you to see those choices and do something different from the version of you. That's, you know, which, which is why I feel like that, that kind of thing seems to be very circular and just seem, you know, like it would more cause like a, uh, like a um, paradox, you know, like, like how can you look at a future version of you that isn't the version of you that has also then looked at a future version of you too, you know? And um, whereas, yeah, I feel like, you know, the, the idea of multiple realities and kind of splitting timelines, like, like, yeah, that makes sense. You know, if you have a version of you who's, who saw something from the future that is based on, you know, who was a version of you who didn't see that future. And now you've changed things. And now you're going to do things differently because you've observed something that, that, that wasn't observed originally. And, you know, so anyway, it, it, it just, to me, that seems so much more complex, which I feel like I would like to believe is the nature of the universe, as opposed to there's one timeline and you don't get, you make a choice and that's it. And it's just solidified. And we have no access to the past or future. It just is what it is. And, you know, it's kind of all moving, just kind of, you know, careening towards a, you know, either infinity or, a, you know, grand destruction of everything like sure. But, you know, yeah. And I guess yeah, it comes back to, like you said, if, if, if we, if we do believe that, if that is the nature of reality, then it doesn't matter what we choose. We, we don't have to feel bad about our choices because they weren't made by us. They were made by math, you know, and, right. and, and everything think, that came before kind of pushed us into those. Yeah. I think my first 
interaction with the circular time travel theory was with Bill and Ted. And yeah, it's such a clean loop. And I think I, I butted up against it and I, I talked to my friend Alice about it. And she was say, I, I was I kept thinking of the Back to the Future two skewed timeline thing, where right. as you had time traveled, you now irreparably changed the future, and there was a point at which you could go back mm-hmm. and fix it. Mm-hmm. And I kept talking about the first time that they would have told them to to set their alarms or, or wind their clock or whatever it was, like, or they set the keys out for them to find, to get into the dad's, uh, the prison cell thing, right? In Bill and Ted. Right. So there is no first time because it's a loop. It's there because on right. this loop, you did this thing. So I, I, that was kind of really enlightening and kind of makes, I'm, I'm satisfied by that idea of time travel. Like that seems more comforting mm-hmm. to me. It doesn't, it relieves me of any kind of like I would ever time travel or be able to, but like it would alleviate the pressure or the guilt or the uh, responsibility as an actor in a time travel scenario to do the right thing to guarantee the right future. All these in quotation marks. But it's interesting that at the end of this, I found it to be both true that the universe is deterministic and many worlds because the 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 progression that they followed in the one where they they saw the future where lily is her name lily ends up dying and the cage falls and they're crawling out that future that they saw comes about it's the bit in the middle that doesn't and i read that to mean they are in the specific part of the multiverse where their projection with the the many worlds theory never showed them a different one, which is a possible universe, a possible of the many worlds. Because if there's infinite worlds, you could sit in front of that screen for your whole lifetime and never see a different deviation because the changes are infinitesimal. So what they got was the same deterministic outcome, same end point, but that that little middle piece was different. And it it justified both theories in the end, I felt like. If they there was a universe in which the devs machine predicted accurately that that would happen, you know? But the end result is the yeah. same regardless. If you have infinite timelines, each one of them is deterministic in and of itself because right. each one of those choices is what led to each of those things to happen. So you're yeah, you're going to get infinite outcomes, but each one of those timelines can only happen that one way to produce those things in as that one version, you know? Yeah. And yeah, like you said, the differences could be infinitesimal, but there's still differences, but they still all lead to whatever outcome they're leading, leading to as an individual. Um, and yeah, and that's part of it. If you only look at one timeline you're like, yes, this is deterministic. This had to happen exactly this way. And it's like, yeah, for that outcome, but right. all of these, you know, the, all of these, crossroads different things also happen yeah the view i've chosen to take on the universe is that you know it's 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 probably if if it actually is infinite then you know there are sort of uh, um contradictory contradictory opposites coexisting 
you know, because it's, it's infinite. So there's room for that, you know, right. so that being, you know, not deterministic and deterministic at the same time. Yes. That's, you know, that's, that's the only place that can work is in an infinite universe because there's room for, you know, contradictions to coexist. And it's one of the, I, I see it as a, the devs machine can no longer predict past its own end because there's a flaw. I think that's the problem because it, it can't predict its own deterministic future because of that glitch, right? That the reason it goes white and you can't project any mm-hmm. further is because it makes that mistake. It doesn't see her throw the gun out of the box and does not exist past that point. Yeah. It, it was, it was a strange feeling of both having been true <laughs> in the end. And I, I mean, I yeah. always, I, I always butt up against the idea of the like, singularity essentially is what they achieve right to be able to put themselves into the machine um in the multiverse within the machine i i always have difficulty with that kind of transfer in quotation marks of consciousness i don't know how that's possible or i mean it if there are transfers of consciousness it happens when we're dead and nobody's been able to report back from that. So, um, right. It's, it's yeah. one, that's something that it, it's, yeah. I don't know. I, and this, this could get pretty woo woo pretty quick, which is a fun place for us. Cause I don't think we've talked too much about it, uh, together, but the idea that I, I mean, I'm terrified of death and the idea of not existing, but for that assumption right. to work, there has to be a point from which you perceive not, living anymore so yeah it's weird and i mean essentially sleep is death like i'm not there i'm not present i'm not observing while that's happening so maybe it's just like that like maybe the molecules that make up my conscious will reassemble at some point and then the light will turn back on but i like the idea of transference in that way is is like it's enough like your conscious mind been reassembled so consciousness reattaches or just appears as a byproduct of those molecules coming back together i mean it's the 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 argo what is it the yeah jason and the argonauts like if you change every part of a ship over a hundred years is the ship the same it's the same kind of like the beaming in star trek right does your consciousness travel with the matter that's been disassembled right someplace else I've always butted up against this, and I know Tina's pulling her hair out hearing me talk about. We we had a long discussion on a road trip about this, and was not productive. <laughs> That's something that I always, whenever that comes up, I'm like, great. They've mm-hmm. talked about transference being a thing and singularity being achieved, but how? I I don't know. It just that's something I butt up, and it's it's a very like philosophical kind of your place in the world life after death discussion. Like that's what the show kind of deals with is a technological response to grief and the afterlife, right. As, as a possibility, like how to recapture what you had lost, re reincarnate digitally, essentially that. So uh, it's, it's, it's within the realm there that like, but it, it seemed like a real, another in the way that the totems create the devs projections that leap there's not really any kind of explanation of like how they go from dead to recreate it in a system 
Does that make any sense? I feel like I'm talking without any talking yeah. without borders. No. And, and yeah, yeah. That, I think that was one of the things that kind of, yeah, didn't sit that well with me about the ending. You know, it's like, I, I believe it more in, in the matrix when they do that idea of kind of putting your consciousness into a, a computer program. Right, Cause, Cause I feel physical... like first of all, you're still alive. Like yeah. you're still consciously interacting with it. Right. Um, but, but I feel like, yeah, like the difference there is like, Oh, if you die in the matrix, you die in real life. It's like, yeah, it's kind of acknowledging the fact that there's, there's something keeping you alive. You know, there's something that's sort of like, for lack of a better term, a, a soul. I feel like that, that is kind of not that it's referenced in matrix, but the idea that there's something else that makes you alive. And if it goes away, your, your physical body hasn't been physically damaged you know, there's still something that can kind of evacuate your soul, you know, from your body. Um, whereas with it, like, well, if, if you're, you're already dead, like, how do you, how do you grab onto that and stuff it into a computer? Yeah. So that part was kind of, you know, I mean, there, there've been other movies I feel like that have dealt with it too. Like with, um, I think it's called the day. Is that the one with Arnold Schwarzenegger? Whereas like, there's this guy who just wants to live forever and he keeps just creating clones of himself Mm-hmm. And so every time he's going to die, he basically does a snapshot brain and it transfers that information to the body. But it's like, is he actually living forever? Or is this just a brand new person who's kind of just like jump started at some point in his life? Right. Like, is that original version of him is his, you know, again, for lack of a better term, soul kind of transferring from life to life? Or is it just that each new you know, each new clone is a completely different person who just happens to have this set of memories that he's now burdened with, you know, in this, this idea that, oh yeah, I'm a continuation of this guy. That's kind of who that person is. But, but yeah, in the meantime, has the person who the first version gone like, oh sweet, I'm going to live forever. And then boop, no, you're dead. You're done. Like, you right. know, you you know, you, you did have a soul and the soul left your body and it didn't just because you wanted to, it didn't transfer into this new body and you're actually, you know, moving like you would move from car to car, you know? Right. Um, if you have clones, right. Like down to the, the, the smallest molecule identical, right. The second that they start along their paths, like literally occupying different points in space, they're different, right? right. Like their experiences wildly shift and they're no longer the same person. Right. Like, I mean, if they're right next to it, each other, they they look to their left and their right, and it's like acknowledgement of a clone. Those are two wildly different people, and this person's experiencing it on the right, right. this person's experiencing it on the left. So those experiences are totally different and shape how those entities, like if a clone, if you clone and die at the moment of their creation, if there's any transfer at all, like it... it it's impossible to know, you know, you can't trace consciousness, right. As it moved like electrical, the, the effect of brain activity and brain development such that we are aware of ourselves is not something we can point to is like, that's where it is. That's that. These are the components that allow for it to still exist. It's so dependent on being able to express itself, you know, like, a dog can't tell you that it's self-aware. Like it can, it can act and it has behaviors Mm -hmm. to know that it is different from you and you can derive it from behavior, but without that apparatus, you can't tell really. We've gotten very existential, very quickly. I I mean, yeah. Well, yeah. And I, and I think like, like in that that movie, the sixth day where they had to 
physically make a copy of the brain and sort of imprint it on the new one. I think that right there is, is proof that like, if, if, you know, if we did have a soul and you're able to transfer, you know, the soul of a dying body into a new body, you would need to transfer the brain over. The body would just be this empty husk that all of a sudden is brought to life. And it's like, I have all my memories from my past life because I've moved my soul, you know? So yeah, in some mystical sort of way, I feel like, you know, maybe like a, like a, you know, like a Dr. Strange character, you know, oh, I'm going to go on the astral plane and then enter this body. Right. And it's like, sure. If you're, if you're able to bring all this stuff with you without any sort of like technology and sort of, Oh, we're going to, you know, use the, you know, the sort of computer metaphor of copying the information from one disc to another disc, those discs are essentially the same. And, you know, sure, I guess, you know, the, the discs don't know that one is different from the other and everything, but you know, that, yeah. How does that, how does that carry over when we're dealing with, with, with people in, in consciousness? And I get, yeah, it's that question, like, are we just the summation of our thoughts and memories or is there more to us than that? You know, which I guess kind of also aligns with the whole idea of, of the deterministic part of it is like, okay, our choice is leading us down this path. This is what our life is. This is what makes us who we are like quote unquote, you know, or is there, is there more to it than that? Are there other choices? Are we still ourselves that have made different choices, you know? And mm -hmm. yeah. So I think, yeah, I think that, that part of it kind of, yeah, it like, it bugged me. Cause it's like, how much are we supposed to believe that he was actually able to put their souls into this, this matrix or how much of it is just a, a program of them. Like they actually did die. And here's a computer program that thinks it's them. That's, right. you know, that's based on their memories and whatever. You know. That's the thing. It doesn't matter to the programs, right? They have awareness and right. believe themselves to be alive. So whether or not the specific con consciousness from that deterministic world transferred is in is inconsequential in so much as like the result right there there is a sense in which yeah. they are living on i also thought that it was a bit of a too clean a happy ending even though it was like many worlds and there were worlds where he, his world was not so happy right because they they show that of like right in some he's perfectly happy in some he's not I just felt like focusing on the one in which he was happy was kind of, I don't think he deserved it. Honestly. Like I, I like that character. I understand right. that character, but the mm -hmm. evil that he did or the, the moral immoral things that he allowed to happen in pursuit of this selfish pursuit. Cause it's, it, he's trying to let himself off his, the hook and he's trying to make, himself feel better mm -hmm. about it and that's not justification for ending life regardless of the deterministic world you think you live in you may not have been responsible for her death but you're responsible for a lot of other people's death in pursuit of this you know like it, it, right. it i i think i would have been able to make my peace with it if we got that frame where He's explaining it to her in this hellish landscape where that version of the program didn't get a happy ending. I think that would have been like, but she deserves a happy ending. That's the thing that's fucked up. Like we had to see her have this reset in order to be, to be satisfied that she got what she deserved as this moral operator within the system. But in that, scenario he also got what he wanted which is is i mean i guess that that's life right that i mean it in in as right. much as yeah. it, it it is an accurate depiction of life that like 
sometimes people don't get their comeuppance at the way that you think they should. So in that way, the dev simulation right. is as frustrating as real life. So, I mean, it's a good imitation or good recreation in that way. Plus it's kind of interesting too. Like, you know, it does bring up the, the idea that, you know, if, if we, if we do have this, this multiverse and part of what made him go down that road and, and make these, these shitty decisions was because of this thing that happened so that he, you know, he as a, as a person is not sort of evil. It's kind of like things that happen in his life. And then the choices he made as a result are kind of what led him down that path. So, so there's another version of him that deserves to have a happy ending. You know, the one who maybe, you know, that the, the, that tragedy still happened, but he dealt with it in a more healthy way. So hopefully, you know, that guy is somewhere having, you know, some peace or where the tragedy never happened. So he's just a regular guy. And yeah, like devs never existed because he didn't bother building it because it was too busy enjoying his life. You know, it's like, you know, that's, that's, I feel like where, where the happy ending is. And, 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 and yeah, like, I guess, um, you know, and this is something that's come up before in, in the, the, the new age part of my life, you know, this idea that, you know, kind of one of the ways you can kind of come to terms with bad things happening in your life is number one, like in that sort of multiverse, like, you know, bad things have to happen somewhere to some version of you. And that there's somewhere there's a version of you that that didn't happen to. And it's like, okay, good for them. But also somewhere there's a version where worse things have happened to you that you didn't have to go through. So it's like, okay, good for me, you know, and kind of like, you know, I guess looking at things in kind of a, a, a bigger picture that way. So yeah, I guess that would have been the, maybe the, the happier ending is just seeing in the real multiverse, like, look, here's him with his daughter because this never happened. Oh, good for that guy. Because that guy has no clue that, there's another version of him that's a complete asshole because his daughter died and he like lost this shit because of it, you know, or, or yeah, like the version of him where, you know, either, yeah, the things played out just the way the devs told him it would. And it's like, okay, yep, this is the day you die and it's done and you're just dead and that's it. So yeah, like, yeah, I think that's that, I think you hit the nail on the head though, is like, you're not supposed to be happy about it, but it's because like, yeah, that's, that's just life sometimes. Like someone who, is smarter and more powerful and did a bunch of shitty stuff gets to get away with it because he's smart and powerful enough to, you know, and hopefully maybe he learned something from that and he's a better person inside of this simulation. Maybe, I don't know. Like, yeah. And he, his character kind of really hammers home this with spirituality and kind of Zen or whatever you want to call it, where it, like looking for a more enlightened way of interacting with the world. Like it's a lot easier to live your life by the tenant. Yes. Thank you. When you're affluent, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's a lot easier to be enlightened when you're not scraping by trying to live and having a bunch of shit come up to make yes. Thank you. A really hard proposition, right? Like that, right. that's how you like, that is a way of interacting with the world to, to kind of generate this little bubble of light, right? This idea that you're being present and accepting what is happening to you or <laughs> what is happening to the thing, thinging itself, right? The, yeah. the, uh, the yes, thank you sensibility is it's none of it is judgmental. I mean, that's what transcendental meditation is meant to be, right? The idea that right. you're, if you are focusing on thoughts, you're not doing it wrong. There's no way to meditate incorrectly. The idea is all of the thoughts, everything is gravy. Everything is good. 
you're allowing yourself to have these thoughts and wash over and go down the rabbit holes without any kind of judgment. It's really easy to do that when you're rich, when your belly's full, when you're, when you have the time and the, the convenience to be able to do that. Like it's really hard. And that's the thing. He was able to live in a world where he thought it was a deterministic society because he, he, he wasn't, struggling against anything but his own guilt he had nothing else in his way because he had money because he had influence and all of these things like all of the problems outside the shit inside of him were very easily dispatched Mm. so it it was just it's it's nice that you can feel that way but the ones that us down here in the muck (laughs) dealing with your the extension of your ego and your guilt we're the ones that aren't able to live presently or allow ourselves the get out of jail free card of a deterministic life because we have to act in reaction to your shit. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. It's definitely a good commentary on, on privilege. It's like, you know, you can, you can say like, Oh, that sucks that this bad thing happened to him, but it doesn't mean he's not privileged because he still gets to deal with it in a very like a term, privileged way. You know, he has the, yeah, the, the resources to actually do something about it as you know, people lose their children all the time. And it's just like, find a way to move on, I guess. I don't know what to tell you, you know, like, yeah, they don't have the means to, It'd be like, oh, I'm going to, you know, build this giant computer so I can try to, you know, recreate the past and the future. Like, oh, good, good on you, man. Like, what would you do if you couldn't do that? You know, how would you deal with this death? You know? Um, so yeah, like it, you know, because he's privileged, it doesn't make him exempt from pain and exempt from struggle, but yeah, having the means and the resources to find a, a different way to deal with it is definitely much different than, well, I guess you have to go back to your job tomorrow because you still need to, you know, put food on your table and pay your rent. Good luck with that. I, I was thinking about uh, the character of Kate as this, she's such an interesting character. I It's just like, Cause she's this cold other force. Right. And she, she's yeah. as, as driven, as motivated, as smart as Offerman is, but she, I'm, I don't know that I ever really got why she was doing what she was doing. You know, like she, she was very cold and calculating and kind of a, not a slave to the system, but the idea that like she was a zealot in the way that she believed in the the end game. But I never really got the sense that I understood why, other than he comes to see her and says, you're brilliant. Here's the things that we can do together. Do you think this is possible? Like I don't, at a certain point it stops being intellectual challenge and becomes something else. I'm not, I'm, I'm still trying to place her character in my head. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, I remember that kind of like where they kind of show her backstory with the flashbacks and it's like, okay, sure. You know, and it's, it's always weird with shows like that where, where every other second of the show is so intentional and so well-crafted that you're kind of like, are, are you being lazy or am I missing something? Is this, is this also perfect? And I just can't grasp it. Like, you know, like what, what am I supposed to be filling in, you know? And yeah, like I, I never, I never quite got like her as a person, the way I got him as a person. Right. And I mean, she, she falls into the, the sphere of his influence and ends up, I, I was weirded out that she was sleeping with him too. Like I, I, it seemed like an odd thing for him to mm-hmm. be doing. 
I guess maybe Zealot is like the 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 right idea, like this this lieutenant who believes blindly in this cause. But I never understood why. And she she does have that commentary about like I don't even think he knows what he's doing. I don't even think he knows what his best case scenario is. And I think that that speaks to it a little bit. But it I I just really like that performance and I liked that character. But I was curious as to why she was there and what what she was getting out of it you know other than out of a phd like she was just very frustrated being in that class for some reason it just seemed beneath her and it like that didn't seem like enough of a motivation to co-sign on murder in the way that she does or let it ha- like let the kid fall i i was almost i was disappointed she didn't push him like i wanted right yeah I wanted that to be because it was almost like I don't know, like maybe it was too obvious. Maybe that's why they didn't do it. Like that was what it was leading to. And oh my god, how could you do that? In that way, it's the universe did it. The deterministic future did it. So it's not because we don't see her push it. We don't blame her. We blame the universe. But as an right. observer, she is in that way complicit in <laughs> the murder committed by the universe in that moment. I don't yeah. know. Well, also, I mean, I think yeah. I mean, she she's still playing a role in it. You know, she's still kind of manipulating it where, you know, by kind of, you know, kind of telling him all that stuff, like that's part of what influences him to step out there anyway. And, you know, had she not said those things, you know, he, he wouldn't, maybe he wouldn't have done those things. So it's, yeah, it's like, you know, and it's interesting to, you know, maybe your average person, what she said wouldn't have influenced them that well, because they're not sort of ingrained in this whole system and, you know, plus with his need to get back to it. And, and he knows what she's talking about. So like what she's saying is having weight. It's like, Oh yeah, if I, I saw this and it means this, it's like, okay, well then that means that, you know, I feel like it also like lets us know, yeah, just kind of how, how culty things were, mm-hmm. you know, where, you know, he's willing to do this, this stupid, dangerous thing as a way of proving, you know, kind of his, his faith in everything. And, um, you know, and I, I think that's kind of what I really like too, is that, you know, I feel like you can kind of fuck anything up, you know, you can, you can, you can take technology and math and turn it into a cult, you know, and and, and science, you know, it's supposed to be this thing that's kind of absolute, but you can still manipulate things and manipulate people and still turn it into a thing where you're getting people to do what you want them to do, you know, regardless of, you know, I guess in this, yeah, like, and then I guess that's part of what we don't know with her is she telling him that because she, she believes that she has to, because of the deterministic nation, you know, or uh, their, their perspective that that's how the, the way the universe works, you know, is she kind of playing along because she feels like she has to, um, you know, is she a little bit like, Hey, I can talk this kid into, you know, killing himself essentially. And I don't have to feel guilty because I saw this thing on a computer that said, it's what's going to happen anyway. So I don't have to take responsibility, you know, kind of like a, you know, like, like what we've been saying about Nick Offerman's head character, he doesn't have to feel responsible if it's deterministic. So, you know, as long as you're doing what you're seeing, no matter what the outcome, you can feel okay about it and removed from it, as opposed to like, oh, a normal person would try to not make him do that, regardless of what they saw, because they don't want, they don't think he should die, you know? So yeah, just, I, I think the fact that like, yeah, when you come, become kind of too a obsessed with something no matter what it is you know it's 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 dangerous and you know and yeah like it it reminds me a little bit of in pie where he's so wrapped up in 
the, the math of everything that he's not really experiencing life anymore. Not, yeah, not living as a person, you know, it's kind of like, Oh yeah, it doesn't matter that I'm in this situation and I could choose to do something differently. Like my belief system says that this is the way it has to happen. And I saw this, this vision that says, this is how it has to go. So it has to play out that way. I was, I was really glad for the length of the series, but also would have watched it for many seasons in a longer show. I feel like at one point there might've been a deviation from what they thought the future was and Kate's character would have like witnessed it and then not told Nick Offerman. Mm. And then that develops of like these slight fluctuations and kind of managing, okay, if this slight deviation happens, are we, is there enough of a change to, to change the future that he's talking about? Or like, I don't know, like it, it was so everything in my body wanted somebody to see what their future was and to rail against it. You know, that that's that's the human clinging to the idea of free will. Well, if that's well, now I'm not doing it right. That meme right to, to show me what I'm expected to do. Well, now I'm not going to fucking do it. And it was it was so interesting that they it was effective for doing this, that they they held off so long on anybody contradicting the formula until that very last sequence, you know, mm-hmm. And it was the the ending of that show. Like the show had four endings. <laughs> like yeah. it just wouldn't die. <laughs> and it was it was. And any one of the endings would have been fine, right? Like if we uh, ended with the mm-hmm. box on the ground and the the projection going off, like that would have been a great ending. Like it's like Stalker in that way. Like it didn't need as many endings as it had. The thread with yeah, just the fact that she kind of changed things was just like, oh, that was that was you know that had a ton of impact, you know, and it was right. like cool. Like I was gonna say, when they told her that she was gonna end up at Dev's, and like the 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 dude breaks in and kills the ex boyfriend and the Russian spy, like I was like, just chill until the end of the day. Like you could do some cleaning. Right. Like nobody's looking for the two people dead in your apartment. Let's do some breaking bad shit. Hydrochloric acid. We'll chop them up. We'll put them into slush. Let, let's let's like make yeah do something because nobody's gonna think to. Look. It's not even her apartment, right? Like it's the boyfriend's apartment. So like do some deep cleaning. Oh, right, yeah. That'll take you enough time to get you past that. Like at that point, she didn't need to to run to Debs. I, I that was like a mm-hmm. little bit. She was driven that way because the plot needed her to. I think there was like definitely something she could have done to avoid that. But maybe that's just watching how people in TV shows deal with dead bodies rather than reality. So I don't know if that's... I just felt like you could get some bleach and make a dent in this and make it more difficult to find you, right? Like, I mean, part of... I I don't know if this, this is me making excuses for it, but it was kind of like... You know, may, maybe at that point she kind of like wanted to end it. You know, she like wanted to, you know, confront him. And I feel like that's what the whole thing was building to. Not just you're going to show up at Devs because you have to, but you're going to, you know, I'm going to tell you what you're going to do, and you're going to do it anyway because you're going to want to. You know, yeah. So like Offerman has that line about like I've heard myself say these things, and it doesn't feel rehearsed it feels like i how i actually feel which i I like that little line about like that the adherence to the deterministic future was 
natural in that way. Mm-hmm. But you watch it play out so many times, it's like rehearsing. Like, you know it by heart, you know? Yeah. And now it's time for great ideas that go absolutely nowhere. See, and, and I don't know if this is the, the, the thought that I have now. I don't know if this is sort of our idea going nowhere and we should switch to that segment that's a carryover <laughs> or did you have something that, that you wanted to talk about? No, I, I didn't have one. Uh, just, I mean, to, if we're going to end the devs, just like, it's a great show. I definitely want to watch it again. Kind of knowing well, that's what coming. I'm saying. it has to do with devs. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Let's segue. Yeah, it has to do with devs, but it's also tying in. So we can, it's okay. So there's overlap so we can still talk about devs, but <laughs> I was just thinking like if what like what would you do if it was going to go on for another season or or seasons like what would what would it be So uh, so my version of that is would start with like start basically at the same point in the timeline that this started but we see Nick Offerman like with his wife and kid and he's happy happy but Devs is still created and now it's telling a story of an alternate version, but somehow, you know, because this whole thing is, well, it was created because of Nick Offerman wanting to be able to see his daughter again, but that doesn't happen yet. It still exists. So the whole season is telling the story of how does this still exist? If the event that caused it exists never happened and bring in almost this whole thing that almost like, I guess it would almost be like a supernatural thing because it's like, you know, it, it needs to exist for Devs some reason. In that, so if, inevitable. if the, 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 in, yeah. So, so basically you could have, you know, just as many, as many seasons as you want, which are all alternate realities that are all telling a story of how dev still comes about, even though we change all these little things, um, you know, which is kind of like, uh, I guess it's a twist on um, like in the time machine, the whole thing of, where and I forget if this is actually in the book. I read like a comic book version of H.D. Wells' Time Machine, and I forget if this happens in the original version, but the the, the movie version, where he keeps trying to go back in time to save his wife, right? And it never works. And the reason is that like if his wife survives, he's never driven to build the time right. machine, so there is no time machine that he can use. So again, it's it kind of blows that. It's the opposite of that sort of circular logic where you can invent something that goes back and allows you to save something. You know, it's like if, if she survives, it's never invented. So there's never the tool that was used to save her. Um, so you could almost have like a, like an instance like that where, you know, in one version, Nick Offerman's wife is alive, but there's still something that, you know, compels him to, to make it, you know, but then there's another version where he's perfectly happy doing his own thing, but maybe there's someone else who like, like uh, what's her face. Um, you know, she ends up making it for some other reason that kind of still leads this to happening. Um, and then I guess ideally, you know, you would have a, a few seasons that go through this process and are just kind of seemingly standalone. But then you have a final season, which kind of gets to the heart of what devs actually is like, you know, cause that's the thing is like in this version, Nick Offerman thinks he's this architect of, of devs and he's playing God but that there's actually some force behind all of this that's actually working all of them in this sort of multiverse. And so again, it kind of put the idea of determinism is that, okay, is it deterministic that devs has to exist? And I know that in his simulation, I think he shows versions where there aren't devs, but that's also just his simulation. That doesn't mean that in, in real life, in the multiverse, there are versions where devs doesn't exist. 
So, so the, this bigger picture version of devs is that devs exists in every version of the multiverse and we can, for fun, see all the different ways it plays out. But then, like I said, finally, we figure out, like, why? Why does depth have to exist in every version of the multiverse? Or maybe there's one version where it doesn't exist. And why? Like, what makes that one special? And what is the, what is the result or whatever? So who's actually behind depth? Who, who actually is the, the deus? You know? mm-hmm. It's not Nick Offerman. It's bigger than him. Gotcha. So that's my idea going nowhere. Multiple seasons <laughs> of dips. Well, yeah, I, I was thinking it would be really cool to like, ha- like, cause that's the thing. Like I thought it was going to be a loop. Cause when it goes back to that day where mm. she wakes up, it was like eerily similar to the open. I was like, it was just going to be this circle right. where it starts over, which I thought was really cool. But I think what I would do is I wouldn't have the, the, uh, I wouldn't have ended it with them within the devs, machine i think they would i would have just closed it with the box tumbling right and had them drag and then that credit's done and then what i would have done is started it over with the same sequences but instead of the russian spy boyfriend dying it would be lily so not that they would switch like it, it would play out the same way where he he's infiltrating it he does it but for some reason lily comes in and sees something she's not supposed to and she dies then he's within devs trying to figure out why that happened and then also having to deal with being a russian spy and trying to get information like that would have been a cool like intrigue and then kind of flip it on its head and have the same ending essentially where you're going to end up coming back and you're going to end up dying and end it with it's him crawling out of the thing and dying for that and then what i would go to after that would be like an alternate reality where devs is in russia so everybody's the same cast so but nick offerman is like a, a kgb agent who's developed the devs product like and for some i'm not sure what would be the motivation like how his daughter and wife would have died but like Exactly, it would be like a, a, a Superman Red Sun, like alternate reality. Red within, Sun, yeah. yeah, not Soviet Union, obviously, but like set in Russia, and then that character is a spy for the CIA, and just do it like that. And then you could—that's the thing. Like the fun thing, uh, the fun thought experiments with a multiverse-centered show is that you could do infinite seasons from infinite perspectives. But I, I think it would be cool to kind of play out the same season with one deviation and see how wild things get and then end it at the same point and then have a wild deviation and then bring it and it ends at the same point like just further reinforcing the deterministic nature but also the multi-worlds i think that'd be cool it would get old really soon eventually but i like the idea that (laughs) it would be with with your concept where Offerman still developed it like Amaya's alive, but the giant doll is still in the sky. Like that would be really eerie. And they like that would be the 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 cliffhanger of the first episode, right? At the end, like you see him happy and he interacts, like they've been teasing that at the end, at the end, it's all of them. And then you push up over the the uh forest and it's her standing there like Amaya is this force. Oh, that would be cool. Like in that version, if when they kill the spy, 
it Nick Offerman's not the only one. It's him, his wife, and his daughter all are there when he gets choked out and dies. So it's like not only is it not motivated by their death, they're also actively participating in what's happening. Just be really sinister and really cool. <laughs> yeah, I th- I, yeah, I think that's what's great. Like, like there's a bunch of directions you could go, and I mean, I, yeah, I think as long as it doesn't just continue where it left off, it's like okay, we're just in a simulation now, and it's a completely different story. You know, like that that I'm I'm not as interested in. Yeah, but yeah, like just I guess if you're if you're doing a show that's about like yeah the multiverse and and that's kind of where you arrive at is like okay, I spent the show trying to convince myself in the world that there's no multiverse but there is it's like okay what else do you do then explore that multiverse you know i think one of the story threads that i was like not interested in and i feel like was just kind of tacked on was the idea of the u.s government overseeing it they come for that inspection oh yeah and then it's just kind of a throwaway and then they come back at the end there's like no ongoing investigation there's no that seemed like, okay, if if a company was doing this, the government would try to get involved in this way. And then they wouldn't be complicit with it at the end where they're like, just keep, we need to keep the machine on. Like, I feel like that was very, that's something I would not be interested in sequel series. I don't want to watch right. the government try and like take control of it. Though it might be interesting to see like what that kind of system that becomes like the adjustment bureau and like the, the like mm. uh, uh, paycheck, like the thought police type thing. I mean, that could, that could be interesting, but I, right. I think that would wildly get away from what the show kind of is at its core, kind of this like existential yeah. analysis rather than kind of a, a tool yeah. of the oppressor. But I mean, that could be interesting of like right. what the, what simulations they would run within it to kind of see like, how to manipulate the public. Yeah. Well, and, and I feel like I, I, I could also fit that in sort of my idea where, yeah, one of the seasons is you're seeing the government play a bigger role early on. So you're right. like, oh, okay, it's something that the government did. But then by the end of it, you see that, you know, that the death was even bigger than the government. So it's not just something that, that they initiated that whoever the programmer is that's working on it, it's going to happen regardless because the government commissioned it, you know, there, it, it was always there and they're trying to use it for their purposes, but it's not their thing. You know, it belongs to, to someone else. I just thought of another one. It'd be really cool to have like, instead of Amaya and her mom dying, Nick Offerman's character dies. So she's the one that develops oh, yeah. it. And then instead of her giant doll, it's, her dad it's just fucking nick offerman with his hands okay. out giant, giant nick offerman just making making that, of lettuce yeah <laughs> <laughs> this this is such a great example of the great ideas that go nowhere that like this is exactly what we used to do and i'm so here for it yeah yeah it's like that's you know, the, i feel like that's the one time i've gotten or, or yeah i mean there have been a handful of other times outside of that but usually it's like yeah when we're when we used to talk at id office that's where I would kind of get to live out my fantasy of being a showrunner. Like, okay, this is, this is your show. What are you going to do? Okay. And I have access to other writers. So I don't have to write every word of dialogue, but I'm giving the outline. This is what needs to happen. 
big picture. This is what happens season to season. This is what happens after the episode. Okay. Now someone else go do the legwork, you know, but, but, you know, we're doing it under this umbrella. I don't know. And, and yeah, I think a lot of it too is like shows I would want to watch, you know, and that's, I, that's why I, I don't have a job like that because most people who have, who are successful that, well, and I say successful, use the term loosely because I, I, I see myself as more of a Joss Whedon type character where, you know, he has great ideas, but his shows all get canceled because people don't get them and they're not, they're not into those type of shows and the way they play out as opposed to like, you know, the people who are successful are the people who write law and order episodes. You know, those are the ones who that show is going to be fucking on forever because it's like, whatever, it's just a standalone thing. It can, you know, that's the perfect example of a show. Like you were saying earlier, we can have the cats come in and out. I mean, they have different versions of law and order that have different stars who are doing different things and different types of crimes. But again, there's no real like big picture there. There's, they're not building to anything. It's just a one and done, you know, jump in and jump out kind of thing. So I feel like all the type of stuff that really is like, I should say monetary and mass appeal successful, like that's not the type of stuff I'm into. So it's like, you know, yeah, this is, this is a great idea that you had for you and your group of friends. They would love it. No one else gives a shit. <laughs> I think the other thing that was the fun about us kicking around ideas like this and the, also the idea that like we don't own the OP was that it was a great collaboration and, like brainstorming because we couldn't feel overly precious about any of our ideas because we don't own them. Right. So it's all, it's right. all hypothetical. So instead of like feeling precious and like safeguarding an idea, it was like, Oh no, let's just expand it. That would be cool. like, it, it just, the, the fertile ground that is collaborating with you, especially on things that will never go anywhere <laughs> is that it, it, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's kind of true collaboration in, in the, it's selflessness, the idea and that not to pat ourselves on the back too much, but like the idea that yeah. when we're playing in, in these other OPs, it, it's truly a collaboration. It's, it's not, well, I'm bringing you something that I feel very insecure about. And if you touch it or try to deviate from it, it's going to make me sad, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's also limitless because we don't have to think about what are, what are our producers going to say we have to do and can't do. What do we, we don't have to take budgets into account or, you know, okay. Yeah. It'd be cool to see this actor plus role, but we don't have to actually worry about getting that actor and paying that actor to do it. We could just imagine, be like, yeah, this would be the person, perfect person for this. It's just, yeah, sky's the limit. Yeah, we don't have to, like you said, like, you know, if we're, if we were talking about some, some franchise where it's like, one of us is like, we should kill this character off. And it's like, oh, I don't think so. But, but who cares? It's not going to happen anyway. And it's not my character. So whatever. Yeah, sure. Let's, let's kill him off. Let's see where that takes us. You know, that's the thing. Like, I, I think this is making me more like my awareness of it just now is like, this is how I should be with things that I create that are my own. They're not going anywhere by themselves at this point so what is what am i protecting <laughs> what is the artistic integrity of the thing yeah. that's just in my head like where <laughs> i'm not killing it let's 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 see what it is i, I don't know it, it just recently yeah as we've been developing this and working on the theme and stuff and this is just talk this may not even be podcast material just the idea that mm. I sent you something and you were like, that's rad. And then you were like, this is what I would do to punch it up. And I did it without any ego. Like I was like, those are cool ideas. And I did it. Mm. And it was, it 
it made it better. It pushed it in a direction I never would have, if I had been precious about like, no, he doesn't know what he's talking about. It's perfect. Like it, it wouldn't have, I feel like that's, I, I get that kind of dragon sensibility of like, these are mine and I'm going to sit on them and nobody can touch them where it's like, what am I losing? <laughs> I don't have any OP because for it to be OP, it has to be making money and distributed. Like it's OP in that only I am right. owning it. <laughs> like, well, yeah, that's the this. thing. Like at some point, you know, like at some point it has to be born and go out into the world and be affected by the world and manipulated by the world. And, and I think that's part of it too, is like, I, uh, yeah, I, w- I would, I would love that it was, if it was always also just the option of, oh yeah, if I wanted to release my ideas, I would just do it and and make it happen. But it's also, you know, needing, needing the platform and, or for something like this, you know, I mean, you know, I can, I can see, I, I, I can see the advantage to, to both being Joss Whedon where it's your baby and you get to be in control of it. But then also like, um, I forget their names, but the guys who did like, who were the showrunners for um, Game of Thrones, where right. Game of Thrones isn't their story, you know, they're doing their kind of love letter to Game of Thrones, you know, where they get to take the parts they like about Game of Thrones and, or, or, or took, <laughs> you know, or, and then ditch the stuff they don't like and kind of tell their own story in that world, you know, which I feel like, you know, that's a lot of what we're doing, you know, is like, okay, here's this thing that we're both really interested in. But if I could do my version of it, it would look like this, you know, and, and in some ways, I think, you know, you've got to feel, I think, be like, have enough, I guess, I won't say ego, but enough confidence to say that your version would would improve it in some ways, you know, or at least there's some people out there who might think that your version of it is improving it. So yeah, how do we how do we get that job? so that's a lot of ideas that went absolutely nowhere as the segment said yeah (laughs) and here's tim with the final word fuck we'll see you next time